Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Android Central podcast for the week of March 23rd, 2017. My name is Daniel Bader, and I am your host for this very special episode where we have a very special guest joining us all the way from Durham, North Carolina, Eric Richardson of Willow Apps, Willow Tree, rather, who makes apps on the Android team. So close. I'm so bad at introducing people. I had this thing in my mind about what I was going to say, and then it didn't work out. But Eric Richardson, welcome to the Android Central podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, then I'll introduce the rest of the guys. Awesome, yeah. Uh, Eric Richardson, uh, Willow Tree Inc. We are a client services company. essentially do apps for uh, services such as like HBO, NCAA Sports, uh, some pretty fun brands. Uh, but I've been doing Android for about five years, five or six years, actually. Um, I'm glad to be here. Very cool. And uh, there's a reason that we have Eric on the show. But before we get to that, we're also joined by the inimitable Jerry Hildenbrand. How are you? I'm not sure what that word means, but I'm <laughs> cool. How are you, Daniel? Uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm a bit of a mess in my mind and my body and my soul. What a but hot mess. Uh, other than that, I'm great. And... Uh, Mr. Russell Hawley, who I'm so glad is back on the podcast. How are you? I'm good. I got I got a little giggle when you said that uh, Eric was from all the way from uh, North Carolina. <laughs> and for Jerry and me, that's like a four hour drive. But for you, it's like 24 hours away. It's a yeah, it's a good distance. Um, I, I live in the the barren wasteland of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Uh, yeah, well, you- we, we love all of our friends north of the and, wall. Well, we think right. we were just um, <laughs> we we were just talking about how there's no Google Wi-Fi here, and the reason that we're podcasting a little bit late is because I'm actually tethering off my phone right now because my home Wi-Fi is so terrible. So thanks, Rogers, for nothing. Earlier this week, we got introduced to the next, the latest, the most awesome, and the least used. Yes, the least used for a very long time version of Android. We're talking about Android O. So oh, a little yeah. bit of uh, you know disclosure. We'd been seeing a little bit of web traffic in our Google Analytics from people visiting us using Android O for uh, about two to three weeks before the, the developer preview was announced. And all of the traffic came from basically Mountain View, California, which is not surprising. So we wanted to bring Eric on because uh, being an Android developer, he has some special insights into what happens when Google unleashes its next set of APIs that eventually coalesce into uh, a version of Android with a name that is publicly available as a beta. And then later in the year as uh, a public facing version that first hits Nexus and Pixel phones and tablets, and then later, uh, much later, the uh, the general Android population. So Eric... Um, why don't we start with you? Because I think it yeah. it's it's a big event in the Android geek world when a, when Google announces the next version of Android. But oh, what is what especially about Android O sort of sticks out to you now? Um, and and is it as big a deal? You know, up for, first and foremost, as maybe N was a year ago. Um. So it's in some ways kind of. Uh, it, it's always a huge deal uh both for enthusiasts and developers whenever they launch a new version 
this version definitely just from kind of browsing through uh, a lot of the changes feels a lot smaller but maybe better quality of life cha- changes like the new no- the new notification stuff for setting timeouts uh snoozing and like channels like all that is essentially for us at least as developers a very small change um but for essentially a user using our apps it can actually do like greatly improved experience as far as what they want to get out of it okay so uh we're we're talking about a a release that is very squarely aimed at developers and as a result google basically comes out with what it's calling Android O, and says, here are the 20 or so APIs that we're talking about right now. And APIs are uh, application ways to sort of that developers can work with the the, the operating system um, in, in a way that they don't really have to hack it, right? It's just, it's, it's an avenue to something. Um, yeah. And I'm, obviously that's something that you can explain better. So... Let's run down a few of the top-level APIs, Jerry, uh, to talk a little bit about where this sits in in the in the scheme of things uh, for new versions of Android. Uh, well, to start, we don't know all of it yet. Google has they, they were very very clear that you know this is just a portion of what we're going to see. We all think that the rest of the stuff is all going to be user-facing features, but there's going to be new APIs in in the next stuff too. There has to be, or or it just won't work. But what we have now is, ah, you want to start from the top, and which one is the best? That's hard <laughs> to decide because, other than the the new channels for notifications, a lot of the stuff they told us about now, uh, as a user, you're not going to see it. It's going to be there, and and you probably will enjoy what it gives you, like, you know. It will make apps be a little bit better behaved when you're not using them. That's always great, but you know you you can't see it doing it. You know it's not like there's a little icon on your screen of a taskmaster making the apps do the right thing. Uh, it, it, my my biggest coolest one is the the communications thing where they're gonna have basically ad hoc mode on Wi-Fi from phone to phone. Okay. Because, it sounds an awful lot like a Wi-Fi Direct that actually works. Yeah. I mean, you know what I instantly thought? <laughs> Multiplayer gaming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, little casual games that you could play head-to-head. That's, if you're, you know, Eric, you guys make one. Anybody else, <laughs> make one so I can play with it because I've always kind of wanted to. Okay, uh, so other than that. Let's start. Let's start from the top then because I, I think maybe it's worth just spending five minutes going through the ones that... Sure. We wrote about in our in our preview. Because um, I kind of well, butchered that. No, no, no. I mean, it's it's just it's one of those things where it's not a it's not a full product yet. We can't really see it in in any yeah. real way. So let's go up from the top. Let's let's talk about background limits. Um, this is you know another step in Google's nonstop, never ending quest to eke better battery life from Android. So okay. Russell, what is what does this mean to you? I mean, as somebody who reviews phones, uses every single phone, it seems like right now the only real way that you can get a phone with a full day or more of battery life is if you just go bigger, right, rather than smarter. So, you know, when, when it says, um, you know, when Nougat allowed you to restrict activities 
uh, on a per app basis, and it was much smarter about it. This talks about implicit broadcasts, um, background services, and location updates that will be um, much more controllable by the developer. So, and, and specifically, location services are the ones that really eat into your battery. So, um, where, where does this, what does this look like for you? Uh, you know, for a start, this looks like uh, apps that do stuff with location uh, in particular are going to have some tighter rules around them. Uh, you know, they were really specific about uh, how they were controlling or, you know, how limitations were going to be placed on on broadcast. And that's a little different from how Doze works right now, or at least how my understanding of how Doze works right now, where, uh, you know, it kind of uh, batches things. It doesn't really say the, the OS doesn't really say, no, you can't do these things. It, it you know, batches requests together and then sends them out in increments. Um, but those those uh, instructions are still happening. They're just they're not allowed to broadcast until those things are happening. Um, what I'm what I understand from from reading this uh, is that there there are instances where apps may say, "Hey, we want to do this," and the OS could could just flat out, you know, not let it happen uh, beyond what we saw with uh, um, with uh, you know things like uh, permissions. This is this is you know and a totally separate you know kind of both in the background and the foreground. Uh, just certain kinds of behaviors at certain times uh, won't be allowed to happen. And Eric, is that is that the right like is that the right way to go about doing it? This sounds a little bit more like iOS than than ever before. It is. It is firmly going down a quasi iOS type path as far as background ser- services goes. Uh, there's still like ways around various parts of it. Uh, so I can start search uh, foreground services. Uh, which essentially have because as long as you're in the foreground, you can kind of do whatever you want. The downside is is that the users know what's going on because you have either a notification or your app's open. The downside uh, is they know what's going on. <laughs> right? Yeah. But yeah. I mean, well, hopefully you're doing good things. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, this this definitely does have uh, a possibility of being probably the most painful change for developers, uh, especially for location-based apps. We have, I'm I'm interested to see. I think I've I read up a little bit. I think it's like five location updates an hour is all you're allowed. Whoa, or something like that. So, I, but like, so play. So Google is apparently tracking your location in the background, but your app is only allowed to actually request uh, location like five times an hour. I have, to, I have to double double check on that one. So I mean, even if it is that number five, eight, whatever it ends up being, and Google could tweak it before public release. Now we have to talk a little bit about the way that Android apps work, right? They target a specific SDK level. Um, so these are limits that are going to be imposed on apps that are built on the OSDK or the OAPI level, or is it right. that, well, you know, it, what happens to apps like 99% of apps on the play store that are, are mainly targeted at Jelly Bean and above, right? So, I mean, if you're if you're targeting, oh, um, all of this stuff applies. Uh, I have to double check to see if they actually enforce that for the background execution stuff. I believe you have to actually target O. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, you have to target O for any of this to affect uh, affect you. Um, for location, at least, uh, most developers now use Play Services. Uh, which is also going to be targeting O because why would Google not update yeah. that? Um, so what I mean is then why, so what real world effects is this going to have 
for the next year or two, or will it have practically no effect at all on on <laughs> average on the average user? Uh, for people that are on O, it might hurt them a little bit, but not really a whole lot. I don't think it's it's it takes a while for developers to sometimes catch up with some of the the newer stuff. Because we we know you know there there takes a a certain amount of discipline from a developer standpoint to implement the latest APIs. And and Eric, how long would it take, say, your company to take what Google's given you and apply it to your your you know a client's app or even an app that you're creating on your own? What what incentive is there to target those those newest APIs, especially if it has the potential of damaging the user experience to some extent there's not really a huge push i suppose uh it's more of a in order to access some of the new stuff you have to target O. Uh, so if you want to use any of uh, the new apis such as like the autofill stuff which i'm sure we'll talk about later uh like you have to target O. I mean there's still apps that are in the store now that are still tar- targeting very low ver- versions so yeah. there's any app that doesn't have uh the uh, runtime per- permissions, like if you're not accepting your permissions in the app instead of the Play, Play Store, like those are like old, very old targeted a- APIs that people still target. So, so that actually infuriates me whenever I see when you download an app from the Play Store and it asks you to accept the permissions straight away. I'm like, I don't even want to download this because it was targeting pre-Marshmallow. No, uh, you and yeah. blame Google. But that's 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 kind of the the thing that was like like updating the target API. Sometimes it's just a easy affair, but sometimes there's a lot of work involved. Like and runtime permissions was a fairly big uh, lift for most apps. Right? Do, do they? Does Google have the compatibility stuff worked out really well yet? Because yeah. Yeah. okay, because I mean I could see that as a huge barrier. Why would a developer want to target Android O if that's going to break right. something on Android M? And that was a problem a few years back. A no, big it was. problem. It, it definitely was. You know, I'm not sure uh, how well app compatibility is, has been tweaked. I know it's, they've done a lot of work, but I'm just was asking how good it is. No, that the the team the the team on the support li- li- libraries uh, they're on the ball the past good. year or so. Uh, so essentially, at least for Android N, I mean, we had uh, support libraries for all the new N stuff. Essentially, the day N was dropped. Great. So yeah, it's it's. It's yeah, been a I, much nicer experience. I, I can see, you know, that they give you this and this is what they say, but you yeah. you use it in practice, so that's why I was curious. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, it works. I mean, there's there's always gonna be bugs, but well, you can always work around them. <laughs> All right, so the next one is uh, probably the most uh, user friendly, user facing feature that was announced, and that's notification channels. So, um, you know, Russell and I were talking about this on an earlier call today. It seems like this is something that Google continues to outpace every other company making a mobile platform. Uh, notifications have been better on Android since day one, and this and I didn't think there was much room left for innovation after NuGet came out when it came to notifications. Like I've I've no complaints about notifications on NuGet, and yet this seems like it's actually a great feature. It makes a lot of sense. So. Um, Russell, why don't you take us through uh, what the what the notification channels uh, layout for for Android O users? Yeah, so this is really uh, kind of cool. I think uh, instead of 
uh, treating every single app as its own kind of channel for notifications. Uh, we now get uh, applications will have uh, different kinds of notifications that fit into different channels, and users will be able to choose which of those channels they're interested in in surfacing and, and how they interact with them, uh, which is really cool for me for a couple of reasons. One is this really silly kind of stupid nitpicky thing. Um, uh, when you use Android Wear, uh, uh, you get, you know, just kind of it's a dumpster for all of the notifications that come from your phone. Uh, and that really sucks when you consider like getting a buzz on your wrist and looking down and seeing that you have a notification saying that you successfully uploaded a picture to Facebook. There's not a notification that I ever need on my wrist. Uh, so <laughs> Facebook could turn and say, okay, so these, these system notifications, like these, these status notifications, they are their own channel and you can choose to, to have those show up in your notification stack, or you can just make them go away entirely. And so I never have to get another notification again, if Facebook were to implement it this way, uh, you know, for, for those kind of systemy notifications from Facebook, I can take that, that whole, you know, kind of category of notifications, uh, and just make it so that they never show up in my tray. And that could be applied really to, to any, uh, kind of notification from any kind of app. It ends up being entirely up to the, de the developer, how notifications, uh, you know, either every notification has the same level of importance and it's all the same category or, uh, developer could turn and say, you know, only get notifications for uh, for retweets on Twitter and and nothing else. And and so that that I'm a big fan of. And they've also done some work with the, the persistent notifications. They're a great deal smaller than the normal notifications now when you uh, kind of collapse the tray. So if you have multiple persistent notifications, they don't take up as much space. Jerry, does this go far enough? Do you think that this is the solution that notification overload people have been waiting for this is this is tough uh i it 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 probably doesn't go as far as the four of us would like the problem is i, I hate to throw water on this fire but from <laughs> what they've shown us so far this is so confusing that 90 percent of the users aren't going to know what to do with it and that's this been google's problem a lot it's hard to present these kind of options in a way that anyone can understand. Uh, if if they throw even more options to even, you know, we want even finer control, that makes it that much more complicated. So I, I'm kind of hoping that they, what what they gave us is a, is a good start, and it's, you know, it it's fifty percent of what we want minimum, yeah. and it'll be easy to use. That's that's the key. It has to be easy to use. Eric, do you think that's true? Uh, does this, as a developer, is this something that you look forward to implementing or is this something that you go, oh man, just an, another set of granular settings to expose to the user to potentially confuse them? So I mean, as a, as a developer that likes treating users correctly, uh, I love this feature just because A, it, it, cut, it makes them essentially have an easier way to filter out all of the stuff they don't want. Uh, which is nice. Uh, and I see this kind of impacting Android development in a way. It's like maybe at some point we won't have as many settings for notifications. Because right now, a lot of apps that actually like give you an option for which notifications you get, like there's a whole setting screen. Yeah. Uh, so it'd be nice to have this all in one, in one area. Um, the other side of this is there's nothing stopping developers from just using one channel for everything. Uh, so I'm hoping it 
doesn't happen that, that way. <laughs> I hope people actually like use this, but you'll, you'll never know. But this is like, for my point of view, this is one of like the best uh, changes from O. I, I didn't mean to sound like I thought it was bad. I just. No, I think you I, raised a really good point. Though. Yeah, I, I can see <laughs> Eric and, and the guys at Willow Tree taking, okay, let's, let's sit down. Let's think, how do we do this? How do we give right. it to the user so they love it? But then again, I can also see other companies that all they do is crank out apps. They're not going to care. You're yeah. going to have just 1,500 channels that you don't know exactly what they are and a bunch of toggle switches. Yeah, that's that's. But at least at least maybe this will move all the toggle switches to one place. Yeah, okay, that, that's yeah. a good point. So I mean, there's there's some upsides of that. My my concern is that this is going to be a if if it is a central repository for selecting which notifications you get and which you don't. And I could be interpreting the API completely wrong. So Eric, tell me this, but I'm I'm worried that somebody's going to get annoyed at all of these. I don't know, successful Facebook upload notifications, for example, going back to Russell's point and just going F this and turning off that channel entirely and then forgetting that they turned it off and then not getting the notifications from another app in that channel that he or she wants. So, um, so it's not, so they're not shared between apps. Like it, it's channels per app. So like an right, app can have right. a number of channels. So like, if you don't care about like the Facebook, like, 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 Twitter's probably the easiest example. It's like you have like your likes and you have your retweets and you have your fo- follows, right? So essentially, right now, in the app, you can actually turn those on and off. Uh, but this essentially gives you a system level to turn off each of those channels if you don't care about them. Got uh, it. And, it. and it is kind of another way that it's going towards a more iOS-y type approach because iOS also has essentially like a settings app, I believe, that right. has all of your notification stuff in there. But what what sounds interesting about this is that then if it is per app, and thank you for the clarification, then even apps that don't give you the ability to affect notifications, you can then override them. So developers will be forced to include certain notifications and put them into a channel, or at least they're encouraged to separate certain notifications into certain channels, and then you can then disable one of those types of notification channels. Right. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. So, I mean, t- to me, it sounds a little bit like um, what BlackBerry was doing with DTEC before uh, Marshmallow, where bit, yeah. like DTEC allowed you to turn on and off app specific notification or app specific permissions before Google implemented a system wide version of the exact same thing. Yeah, I, I agree. Where if if you mean like it put everything in one place and tried to present it, so you know what's going on and you have a little bit of control. Yeah, this is kind of what this is going to do. Okay, uh, Eric, have you looked at the uh, the documentation on this much yet? I, I haven't. Yeah. yeah, is it is it easy? I mean, yeah. I mean, from from us, cool. from like a d- developer's perspective, all it is is I think it actually require you to actually have a channel every time you make a notification now. Awesome. Uh, so it's like kind of forced. As I said, it's, there's nothing stopping you from using the same channel for everything. Yeah. But hopefully people don't do that. Uh, but there's also a lot of really, really cool stuff you can do with channels. So essentially you can t- have different channels be different uh, colors for the LED lights for like the four phones now that actually have LED lights. Uh, huh. And different vibration patterns and such for channels rather than per notification. 
And I wasn't there something in there about a uh, different icons and graphics per channel and maybe even animations. Or uh, I don't did know I animations? I don't think so. The, yeah, there's going to be there's the potential for icon animations. Yeah, like so that's, that's okay, I got the two. You're right. I got I got yeah. the two tied together in a way they shouldn't have been, which is also exciting to me. But we'll get to that apparently. <laughs> but, so one thing about n- notifications that I I think is um, is interesting. So there's the ability now to snooze notifications, which yeah, means that you yeah. can on a on a per app basis um, snooze a notification and then it'll come back to you. And this is something that. Samsung implemented in its uh, Nougat update for the S7 and S7 Edge in um, you actually have the ability to nudge you after one, two, five, ten, 10 or 20 minutes if you don't action a notification, um, which I've been using for Slack because I, I love ignoring messages that I get on <laughs> Slack. So I have that to, I have that set for five minutes and then I go, okay, fine, I'll just action this. But um, I have. Go ahead. I'm super pumped about snoozing notifications because that's that's one of my that's one of my weaknesses is I will look at notifications and be like I want to deal with that but not right now so essentially yeah. my status bar just fills up so this is supposed to be nice. I hope that it works exactly the way snoozing works in Google Inbox. Yeah, yeah. Because I I, really I, so. I use that so often and to be able to have notifications for my entire system like snooze based on location. Uh, or, or oh, yeah. you know, snooze based on time of day. Like that is super helpful to me in inbox. I would love to have that system wide. Mm. So you're saying that, uh, you know, you get something like, "Hey, can you pick up some milk on the way home?" And you're like, "Okay, I'll, I'll get back to that." So you snooze the notification when until you get to the grocery store, or you get, yeah. you know, you're walking by the grocery store, and then you get that notification again. Yeah, I can mm-hmm. snooze it by location where I, I pick an area, and when I show up in that area, then the email shows back up. It's super convenient for me when I like when I go to New York for press events and stuff. Mm. I can I can snooze whatever that invite email is, and then when I get to New York, it, it's at the top of my box. I don't have to search for it. Oh, that's a great right. idea. I I, I, I really hope they do do stuff like that. I haven't had a chance to play with snoozing stuff yet, so. I get a notification, and I just have to take an Adderall and do whatever the hell it tells me to do right <laughs> yeah. then and there. Yeah, oh, the other the other very very small change to notifications that's nice from our side is uh, timeouts for notifications. Yeah. So essentially, if you have notifications that are only good for a certain amount of time, you can hide them when they're done, rather than keeping their, them there forever and essentially having them be useless. Uh, I, I instantly thought great. a location tied to those too. That's that's the first thing that came to my mind. Is oh yeah yeah. You know, if I if I was writing an app for Target, I I could have a field day with that. Well, I mean, what, what's I, I like about that, the timeout thing is, you know, I often get, hey, you should leave by 4.18 to get to this venue for 5 p.m. But if I don't decide to action it, it's still there at 7.30. And I'm like, well, thanks. I don't really need this anymore. It should know to just disappear after the event is over. Yeah, that, that, is, that is like the perfect use case. For right you don't too. have to take two Adderall just to deal with that. <laughs> oh, <Jerry. laughs> I think I work you too hard. Nah, that's impossible. All right, so last thing that I, I, I think Kevin Michaluk of uh, Crackberry fame will love about the new version of Android is badges. So this is something that, uh, this isn't really a notification, th- well, it's sort of a notification thing. It's It ties into the, the updated icons, but 
what what it seems like is that you'll be able to, or developers will be able to implement uh, notification badges on the icons on a per app basis. So it's not going to be launcher based. Nova Launcher isn't going to have to make a custom API for four developers to you know ignore and and and, and sometimes implement. This is going to be a system wide badge API. Eric, is this something that you think people will actually care about? Um, maybe. I personally don't really care about it, but I would play with it. It's, it's the <laughs> the further blackberryfication <laughs> of of Android. Yeah. No, like the, I mean, I don't know. I, it, it depends on the person, I guess. But seeing ba- seeing badges causes me me- mental stress. So oh, even I, if I had uh, the ability to have badges, I would not have badges whatsoever. Right. If I were to turn on my iPhone right now and it showed me that I had 1,569 messages in my Gmail, I would lose it. So <laughs> as long as I can shut that off, I'm cool. And that's the thing. Like, it's, I'm pretty sure just from a cursory overview that I kind of looked into it, uh, I'm not really sure there's a whole lot we have to do on this. I think it's just based on notifications. Well, that's, that's good news, I guess. If you have like four notifications in your notification tray, it'll show up as a four badge on your home screen. That would make sense. I hmm, think that's okay. how. So I have, to, I have to look into that a little more because I haven't really looked into the badge part. I, I, you as know, long I as would I can prefer, turn it off, I'm down. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But and I, I, I'm pretty sure there is a setting you can turn on and off the badge. I would actually prefer, though, it, for Google to do this as a, a system API somehow that any launcher can tie into and any app mm. developer can tie into. And break it away from the notifications because I may not want to have a notification to tell me I have six Gmails, new right. Gmail and, and up at the top, but maybe I want the icon to have that badge. And like Eric, I think the two are tied together. Yeah, I'm pretty, pretty sure. Interesting. Yeah, I was, I was going to say because it, it sort of ties into the ability for developers to change uh, LED colors based on channel. So, you know, that... To me, those two things are like basically a BlackBerry P in a pod. Like it's those were the when I was a BlackBerry user, it was those were the two things that I obsessed about the ability to get that you know custom LED color. It seems like so long ago. It was like pro, such a prosaic thing that I loved, but it it, it it to me it made me happy. The the badge and the uh, the, the the flashing custom LED light. Uh, simpler times. All right, moving on. Autofill APIs. The big one. The big one. So, uh, Jerry, why don't you explain a little bit about how, why this is necessary, what it means for users, and why it's a little bit like the, uh, the, the, the password managers that uh, we always tell people to use? Well, for starters, it gets rid of the requirement for an application that wants to keep some autofill data to call itself an accessibility service. That's from a security standpoint, that's not a good thing. I'm sure there are plenty of developers that would have liked to implement some sort of memory feature for text boxes or, you know, data entry, but didn't want to have to declare their app as an accessibility service. So they didn't do it. Now it looks like they can. Uh, there, there is a, an API where you can tap into the system and I, I, I'm guessing that you can take your application and add an activity to it that can act as an autofill server, for lack of a better word. It can retain the data that you want it to retain, and it can be smart. 
And as long as a text field is declared as the right kind of field, you can automatically enter the data, maybe with a long press or a double tap. You, you no longer have to overreach from the security side. And it looks like the, you, that, that somebody will be able to, to make an app that does nothing but be an autofill app. Yeah. Where you can store all your, you know, this is data that's important to me. I need it to be remembered, but I don't want Facebook, for example, to have access to it. So somebody can create an app that can do that for you. And you can use it in Facebook the same way you can choose which keyboard you use. Okay. So how important is this from a user experience perspective? Because right now when I when I have to input a password, for example, I have to change to my one password keyboard. And before I before I even, you know, did that for the first time, I had to enable the one password autofill. Uh, feature, which is, as Jerry mentioned, an accessibility hack for you know for all <laughs> intents and purposes. Um, yeah, yeah. So, Eric, from from your perspective, does this really change the way that uh, users interact with with input fields and make it a bit more like a desktop experience? Uh, yes, uh, it is. It is, and I'm super glad it happened. Uh, I'm actually a little grumpy. It's been 24 hours, and uh, Dashlane doesn't have this yet. So I, guess I don't think they're allowed to <laughs> because no, because nobody does like autofill well when it's hacked together like that. So like having an eight four is going to be awesome. Uh, and it, it is going to make users lives easier. I mean, that's one thing like either dash lane. I mean, one thing you have to remember is essentially all of your stuff is stored in Chrome. So you don't necessarily have to have a password manager. Chrome can just add this and essentially be your autofill framework. Right, but isn't that less? That's less than secure, right? Because Chrome doesn't encrypt the that data. Yeah, this is, this is true. I mean, you are doing taking some trade offs for not having to essentially download a second app. All but right, there's there's also a plus side. This, uh, you know, you can have a good password. Yeah, and you don't have sure. to have the struggle of entering it by hand on on a phone keyboard. That's a big plus, and that's gonna more people are going to want to use a password because right. of this. And this is this this is one of those things where I feel like if they would have rolled out smart lock to more folks, they probably wouldn't need this as much. Can you just explain uh, what what smart lock is for people who don't know? Smart smart lock is essentially a feature of Google Play services that allows you to store usernames, passwords, and auto log you into apps that you've already logged out into it's actually tied into with with chrome so if you logged in on chrome uh for instance like the netflix website log in there uh with uh your in chrome it'll save your credentials like usual but then if you actually download the netflix app it realizes you're the same person you're the same google account it'll auto log you in so there's no need to even like bother with the password and it's great if you go back to the netflix website on your computer and change your password chrome will tell you how it can update the password for smart lock across your devices too yeah they did a really good job there but it's just not it's not ubiquitous no you need everybody to use it yeah no, that's true it, it, that doesn't happen okay so for um for people who who uh, who, who think a little bit more visually um can you explain maybe as a concept how this autofill experience will work 
for the average user? Like say I'm, I'm at the, uh, you know, I'm logging into Netflix for the first time. I don't have smart lock. Um, how is, how is it going to show me the ability to input my username and password? Good question. I have no idea. I, <laughs> I, I would, I would hope it's one of those Google black text box pop up. Yeah. Walkthroughs the first time. I'm, I'm willing to bet it'd be, it's cause I haven't actually seen the UI for it yet. Um, uh, but how should it work? I mean, Russell, like what would, what would you prefer? So I I'm, I'm at my username and password. I tap on the, the input box. What happens? It shows up, uh, you know, you have three apps that potentially have access to this dash lane, one password and last pass, you choose one, you enter, you know, you, you tap your finger against your fingerprint sensor and it just, it just knows like, what would you prefer to happen in this case? Yeah, I think, you know, ideally it would be a more secure version of what we see with uh, uh, Netflix uses uh, Chrome to kind of uh, store, not like not store your password uh, and then and then save it. But uh, like a like an account based thing where if you're in Chrome and you're already logged into your account, uh, then, you know, you, you go to Netflix and it, and it says, hey, we have this saved thing. Do you want to use it? Um, and, you know, so, so something like that with, uh, you know, with, with just that added layer of security, like a, you know, a fingerprint sensor or, or, you know, a, you know, a separate kind of, uh, maybe system level password or something like that. Or an uh, iris scanner, would, you know, those are, those are super popular these days. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Here we're going to have lots of those soon. Lots yeah. everywhere. Uh, All of the iris scanners. That's, that's the thing is, I'm not even 100% sure if the user actually has to take any extra steps to get that data. Out of the autofill app, I'm, it, it might essentially just autofill edit texts as they can get data because you send up like some kind of metadata for what you're looking for, and then it should just send it back. And I think the actual service autofills the uh, the edit texts. But then then you'd have to choose like you do with your SMS app a default autofill client, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly how it works. Yeah, right, and then. So it, but it, it, it's ahead, actually I, under yeah, no, it's actually under the default apps uh, setting in settings of your autofill app. And and I'm I'm gonna guess that a long press on a text box, there there's gonna be some sort of way where you could choose to change that on a per use basis if you have more than one. Yeah, maybe. I, it'd That's be silly not to do that because I can think of times where I would want dash lane or LastPass to be yeah. my autofill server. And then other times where I would want the application I'm using to do it for me. So right. I hope they, they make it easy to switch. I mean, just think of, think of the foresight that Google had to have had when it implemented a default SMS client. When was it back in, it was lollipop, right? Um, or was it marshmallow? I can't remember. Uh, was it KitKat? Or maybe it was even KitKat. It was right around the time that they put SMS into Hangouts. Either way, I mean, back then, you know, to have this, I think it was KitKat, you're right, to have the foresight to know that it was releasing an Android SMS app that it wanted on every phone that was released because they were hopefully going to implement these RC, I mean, I maybe I'm fantasizing here, but to, you know, to have these RCS-like capabilities that would exist across every Android phone so that all users, regardless of manufacturer or carrier, could communicate the way that maybe iMessages do. Um, you know, to have the foresight to, to put 
that you know functionality into into Android. I, I just I, I love that they're thinking that far ahead because I, I don't know if there were any other major reasons why they would implement such a a, a big change, right? Um, obviously, with you know to prevent duplication, but other than that, Eric, do, do you think that there was a reason why? Um, they they made such a big deal about SMS defaults. Uh, so I mean, you've been able to set SMS default apps since 1.0 or so, right? Sorry, I mean I mean that you you have to uh, you 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 have to assign a single SMS app to act as your as your right. default. And that is and that is uh, the, re- the re- I think the reason they did did that, if I remember correctly, was that they only wanted one app to be able to actually write to the database, right? That's that's what they said. Yeah, they they didn't say why. They didn't say what they what issue they found, but it sounded like they found some sort of critical. Oh my God, we can't have this anymore. So right. now you have to say only one. Okay, fine. I like my version better. Well, but yeah, uh, it, <laughs> you know, you're 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 right too on some level, Dan. It's uh, no, I'm not. It's okay. I, I'm fine I'm gonna with that. guess that that when they were doing this, there were also people. That you know, at, at Google, who were working on some sort of RCS messenger client oh, because sure. they knew it was going to happen. Google is working on what we're going to get three years from now, right now. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Which is why it's interesting that you know the the early critiques of Android O are like, oh, it's not a big change from N, but we haven't seen a quarter of what's going to come out in the in the final version. I'm sure. And and with multi window was actually like a fairly big update. Yeah, I think bigger than people thought. Yeah, it's fairly normal to do the whole like large release, small release, large release, small release. Uh, as far as features go, as I said, like as as Jared said earlier, like this isn't even final. So I'm sure after IO, we'll have like a bigger, better picture of where O is going to be. Um, I, I, I hope. You know, I, I would, I would, man. I would imagine. All right, let's Cause, let's. Cause, yeah. Let's stop for a second and I'll take bets on which version number O will be. Uh, Russell, what what do you think? I hope it's 7.2. Okay. What about you, Jerry? It's probably going to be 8. I just want to know how much we're betting because maybe I know something. Uh oh. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, I don't know anything, but it's going to be 8. You think so? I'm going to go into 8.0. I'm pretty sure they said they're doing one major release a year. Yeah. This no. is not they, – they're going to leave the, – the smart way to do it, at least what I say is smart. Don't hate me, Google, is leave – you've got Nougat <laughs> as seven. If, you know, if somebody makes a phone and they, they have Nougat on it and a month from now they find something they need to update in Nougat right away, that's 7.2. Mm, you know, they're, they, they, they can't they, – they, <laughs> they can't ignore Nougat or Marshmallow – uh, they, they, they try to ignore everything earlier than that. Maybe they shouldn't, but right now they can't ignore the past couple versions and they, they, there will still be dot updates that you get that are stuff that not all phones get, but your particular phone does. That's just how that works. So even a lot of security updates, right? This is, this will be eight. So, okay. So it's going to be eight. Um, I bet a dollar on it. It's interesting that the Pixel launched with seven point one, and, and I think we talked a lot about this and why. But you know, the Nexus line launched with seven and there were hints that seven point one would be a 
a very different, uh, much more advanced release than 7.0, and, and that turned out to be quite true. There were some substantial changes to uh, both the UI and to the feature set on, on 7.1. Um, do you think something like that could happen with 8? I mean, I, I wouldn't put it past that, to be honest. I, it kind of depends on what their launch get schedule is like. Yep. Uh, if, if Pixels are ready by the time uh, Android O is ready, then I wouldn't put it past them doing that, doing that again. Oh, is it time to get excited about Pixel 2s yet? It is always is that, time to get excited that, about Pixel 2s. What we're at now, or do we wait until <laughs> IO happens? I was excited about Pixel 2 the day after the Pixel 1 got announced. Yeah, you were pretty excited about the Pixel, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I was, it was good, it was real good. Oh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm with Eric. I'm, I'm excited about the Pixel 2 because I think the Pixel 1 is just it's near perfect. It's, it, it's, it's, it's good that Google couldn't actually be opinionated about some hardware. This is, I'm, I think, it's what Android needs. I'm excited about the Pixel Book, just saying. Oh. Well, let's come back to that. All right, so let's <laughs> let's move on. Let's let's continue going down the the rabbit hole of, of APIs. Uh, this is uh, potentially a big deal. I, I I don't know. Question mark maybe uh, picture in picture for phones. Um, we obviously got picture in picture for Android television, Android TV, uh, and I was trying to help out. Alex Doby yesterday, who made a, a really good video on all the big updates to O. And I was looking on my Shield TV trying to find an app that even supports picture-in-picture, and I couldn't find a single one. So not a whole lot of developer support there. But uh, Eric, do you think that this is has potential to be a big deal on, on handsets? Um, possibly. So one of the things that we get requests for all the time is uh, YouTube-style, essentially like that little floating window you can get. So we do end up doing a lot of video apps, and that's always a request. Uh, so this will make it a little easier, maybe. How do you do it right now? Uh, right now, it's very complicated. It involves essentially having a fragment, which is one of the build one of the build, building blocks of Android, or whatever, uh, floating above like an an activity, and then essentially it messes up your life life cycle type stuff. But it's always kind of gross. Just just say magic. <laughs> Mad, I love ma- magic. I love magic. that's the adjective you use. It's just it's gross. It's just really <laughs> gross. <laughs> well, yeah. So like having thing- this is, is is nice. It's it's not. It doesn't cover all the bases as far as like animating it there. Um, but but still, it's it's step. It, it the screen overlay problem. This could yeah. be the way you solve that. That I think is a bigger deal than actually a a, a small window on your home screen that you can watch YouTube videos in or whatever. Yeah. Uh, on a per app basis, that picture in picture can be very useful and very cool, but the screen overlay problem, anybody with Facebook messenger hates life and this will <laughs> fix that. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about that because we've never had a developer on really talking about what that screen overlay problem is. We often get complaints from users about it and they can't seem to make it go away or they get an error because a, an overlay app like Facebook Messenger is continuing to run, even though the overlay itself is not active in the foreground. So, Eric, what what's the basis for that, and, and why does Google feel like it needs to fix this overlay problem? Uh, because it's it's you can get a lot of information about apps that are running underneath it by having your app r- r- running on, on top. So that sounds gross. Yeah. So I mean, there's it's, and also you can like cover over stuff. Um, 
that's kind of why there's like some issue they solved with uh, accepting permissions because essentially like yep you can draw your own dialogue over per permissions and just have the user do that uh so there's a lot of stuff you can take advantage of with it uh, so i'm kind of glad they hid it away behind some some settings Speaking of permissions, um, I read a, a little bit of the release notes that they're cleaning up permissions a lot in, in O because for a, a few types of permissions, if you accepted one, it would give you access to all the other, it would give the app access to all the other permissions in that permission channel. Yep. That was a bug. <laughs> yeah. That, that seems like a pretty bad bug. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fairly big. I mean, yeah, there's no, there's no way, way <laughs> like, how, how did that happen? Like, how did that ship? Because that sounds like a very, very dangerous thing that nobody actually, like, malevolently took advantage of, or at least not that I could tell. But it does seem like a pretty big oversight on Google's part. Yeah, it, seem, it seems like it. Um, like, what goes on in the background at Google, I'm not really sure. Um, as far as testing all, all of this, uh, I feel like that should have been caught. But... Google's using basically a, a user group permission model for application access to system data. That doesn't work. You mean like Windows 95? No, no, like Linux. Whereas <laughs> I am, I, 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 based, I, am yeah, I am Jerry, but I am also a member of groups and services, and it's complicated. And it's great for login. Uh, it's not so great when you have every app act as a user and it gets a user ID, and then you try to assign them to groups, and it just doesn't work. And the only way to know it didn't work was to try it, and now they have to fix it. Yeah. Here we are at version 8, and we still have to fix it. Yeah. I just realized I insulted every single Linux person on planet Earth, so nah. I, I, I apologize. Don't worry, we won't forget. I know you all will. Nine you, us, you all nine forget. of us. No, nobody forgets. Toronto. Um. <laughs> All right, so we're we're moving right along. Um, font resources. I don't know how big of a deal this is. Um, I know that fonts on Android are a bit of a mess, and Roboto kind of fixed it because Google basically twisted all the OEM's arms to ship Roboto as the default. But you still get Chaco and things on your on your freaking <laughs> Samsung phone, which is disgusting. Oh, so um, bad. So yeah, Eric, what what is uh, what is font resources in XML, and and why is that a big deal? So this is actually pretty awesome for developers. Um, if if they backport this, otherwise we don't care about it for like three years. Uh, so like currently, how we do fonts is we have a bunch of libraries that we can use, like calligraphy. Uh, there's some other uh, resources we can use. We can do it by hand. Uh, but essentially, like adding your own fonts is never quite that straightforward. Uh, and a lot of times you can't do them in XML without some workarounds, like calligraphy, for, for, for instance. So this is kind of kind of nice from our point of view to essentially like change fonts in the XML and not have to worry about it. Bad part is it's a whole new it's a whole new resource type, which is going to be interesting to see how they backport that if yeah. they do. And and for people that don't understand, sorry Eric, I just have to deal no, with this all the time. Uh, <laughs> what 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 he means by the XML is. When you're, you're building an app, uh, if you know anything about basic web page design, you use HTML to define things like your font, your size, your color. You can do that when you're writing an app. You, you, you 
set up the layout for the app and you use XML to do it. Yeah. But it's not something that's before now, like given to us. Right. Right. You've had to essentially either write a whole font system for ourselves or use a library that somebody has made. So it's kind of cuts out the library part um, as long as, as I said, as long as it's back, 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 backported. If it's not backported, it's kind of useless. So how, I mean, Jerry, you, you mentioned, I, I think after NuGet was released that Google managed to backport some of the inline reply libraries um, so that, you know, other app developers could take advantage of it without necessarily conforming to, I mean, from an aesthetic perspective, it doesn't look the same as NuGet, but you can still use the inline replies. Um, what does it take for Google to backport this to previous versions of Android? So this is that's that's the interesting part because I, I don't think they've ever added a resource type and then had to backport it. I, I don't think so. I, so I'm not. I'm I'm really not. I'm sure how they're going to do this outside of maybe making so there's a there's a file called uh r which essentially handles all of our resource ids um i maybe make like an r compat i i i really have to have no idea i haven't really thought about it all that much well that's you don't wish for any big things do you (laughs) (laughs) i i think the best case scenario is this will make it so your app doesn't break if your user is running Android O is the yeah. best thing we can hope for at this point. Yeah, that's I guess that's 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 the the, the neutral scenario. The the positive scenario would be get it to actually be backward yeah. somehow. And but, come on, if you know this is Google, they they do some amazing things. Maybe it'll happen. Oh yeah. Oh no, that's the thing. I, I'm sure I'm sure somebody there is smart enough to figure this out. Uh, it's probably not not me right now. <laughs> All right, so I'm I'm looking at uh, the next one. It's um, a, a GIF that Google added uh, to its explainer uh, of O, and it's a an icon that is changing shape from a circle to a squircle to a square. Um, and basically, what that means is that it's going from Pixel Launcher to Samsung Launcher to generic other, I guess. Um, so this is called adaptive icons, and it's a way for developers to essentially create assets that will adapt to the to the phone and the uh, the launcher that you're using. Is that is that right, or is it is it kind of is it launcher specific? Um, so I, from re- reading, I believe it's OEM specific. So an OEM provides a mask for the device. I, I want to say if they did this right, launchers can specify their own. I hope. Uh, but by default, the OEM should provide a mask, which is either a circle for pixel devices or a squirt squircle, which is the best word ever. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, this, this is actually really, really cool because this makes it a lot easier for us. Well, not actually for us, for our UX folks um, to essentially like make make icons that look good on whatever they're running on. It, it, exactly. You, if you go back a few years, you can imagine how some of those icons would look when you start putting different shape and color right. masks behind them. This fixes that you, your icon is now the same in the center and there's flair added around it. Yeah. Russell, were you uh, of the opinion that the pixels round icons were a, a good change or a bad change to Android? I had absolutely no opinion on the topic because they're <laughs> icons and I don't care. I'm not a very uh, aesthetically minded person. 
so it didn't really bother me. It bothered a lot of people, though. People there, there were some very vocal comments on it. Oh yeah, uh, from uh, from pretty much every perspective. But yeah, it, it's never been a thing that bothers me. I don't care about mm-hmm. Samsung's uh, squircles. I, it's just never been a thing for me. The, yeah. As long as I can get to my app and do the thing that I want to do, I've, I've, it's never been a thing that's bothered me. But at, at, at the same time, though, this is why icon packs were so popular. Oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> like, there's been, like, I don't even know how much money has been made off of icon packs, but it's because, like, the inconsistency in icons is aggravating to infuriating for some people. People, So this, this kind of helps with that. And, and something new here is that these... You know, adaptive icons, that's the word Google's using for them, yeah. now goes outside the launcher. Uh, when you go into your settings application, you have some phones give you an icon beside a list entry. Those are now adaptive icons. Yeah. Uh, in the sharing dialogues, those icons are affected when you, you know, press the share button and you're going to send something to Facebook or whatever. Yeah. And the app overview screen, which is, you know, you're, we call it multitasking. Where yep. you can see which apps are there. This this goes outside of just the home screen on your launcher, which nobody expected. No. Right. no. Um, and and the the most fun fun part, which if you go to the adaptive icon screen and scroll down, is the possibilities of this mask type approach. Is essentially you can animate icons uh, without a whole lot of pain. So. So essentially, so if you go to the adaptive icons page and scroll down, there's examples essentially of uh, the icons parallaxing, for instance, like in response to either a swipe or a long press um, or pulsing. I mean, it's one of those things that will make it a little easier to add that special touch that makes things feel better. Um, but it's pretty exciting because you can you can imagine some pretty fun stuff. Yeah, yes. we, we saw some cool stuff in launchers you know, in days gone past, but they all had to call the frame buffer and, and create an animation. Right. It, it wasn't the icons actually doing it. Now Google is, you can just do it with the icons. All right. Well, you know, I, I mean, as somebody who has now defaulted to Nova launcher with a pixel icon pack for every phone he uses, <laughs> um, because the pixel launcher just ruined everything else for me. Um, I I love this. I think that you know, no, not only will it ins- re-inspire artists to make beautiful icons again, um, it'll offer another revenue stream to this. You know, to people who whose revenue streams have run dry a little bit over the last few years. You know, icons are certainly a commodity, so it'll be interesting to see whether there will be a a, a re um, a resurgence of of interest in in icon packs and custom themes and stuff because of this. I, I hope there is because I think that's the one of the better parts of Android. And um, you know, our our own Ara Wagner, who is the the queen of theming, she uh, will <laughs> probably fall over herself for for this when it comes. All right, moving right along because uh, we're we're running a little bit out of time. Uh, wide gamut color. Um, you know, the G6 has HDR support. We know that. Potentially the S8 will as well. Um, but it, I don't think it's DCI-C3 compatible, or maybe it is. Um, but this is this is not a big a deal. Is it? What is DCI-C3? It's this or DCI-3P. Am, am I, I'm probably butchering that. DCI-P3. 
DCIP3. Thank you. So it's what a, is that? It's a colorful it is that. file. Thank you. So it's yeah. a designation um, of, I guess, a color spectrum that the uh, screen can conform to. So if an app supports it or um, the the operating system supports it, then you can show a, a wider gamut of colors. Is that like the best profile? It's not don't, don't it's one of them. It, it's it's not <laughs> the best. It's just a different profile. There's, there's I, many standards. I, I don't, I'm not sure if you're kidding or not, Russell. But I'm not. not I, I this I don't there, under, like. I've seen there's, the thing used before. I know that Renee over at Imore uh, loves DCIP3, um, but I don't know what it means. I just know I, that that uh, Apple people are really excited about it. I I. I uh, a, a, guy, a fellow named Dr. Yang Tao explained this to me. I had to take some courses on this. There's no such thing as red. There is what Russell sees as red. There is what I see as red. And there's also what Adobe calls red and the people who make the Profoto color profile call red, DCI-P3. Red is defined by the color profile you use on a screen that can display it correctly. What this does is this gives application developers a way to leverage that if a company makes a phone with a screen that is good enough to display a color profile correct enough nothing's 100 percent correct but i can't just pull any old piece of glass and say that oh this will be you know adobe rgb compatible because it, it probably won't but if i use quality stuff a developer can now take advantage of that and that's important for a lot of people and a lot of apps yeah this is about uh this is about color accuracy or color yes. accuracy according to a standard, I guess. Uh, color, yeah, color according to standard. I mean, uh, essentially, it's just going to be better reproduction of an image. Okay. Um, yeah. Or maybe, so be, maybe, maybe it's more accurate to say a, a, a more accurate reproduction of that image in the sense that, you know, when you have these three profiles, Adobe, Profoto, and DCI-P3, uh, you can you can make sure that the photo or video being displayed on that screen is what the, or, or the, the content creator intended, right? Yeah. Well, it's, this was all done. So red is the same color on my screen as it is on yours, Daniel. Right. If they are the right profile and quality hardware, red, and I use red as an example, every color will be the same. We won't see it the same, but it will be the same. So I remember when OnePlus came under fire for releasing the three, the OnePlus three, um, with a a very inaccurate screen. And everybody before Anon Tech reviewed the phone said the screen was great. It's super saturated. The colors look awesome. And then Joshua Ho took a a rake to OnePlus and basically, you know, uh, raked them across the fire. Said that the screen was super inaccurate and that it didn't conform to standard um adobe rgb color um calibration so oneplus was actually shamed into updating the phone to support this this uh color profile but to my eyes that more accurate color profile is not nearly as enjoyable to look at it's much more bland the reds and greens are not nearly as punchy so it's fun it's really not as fun and that's why you see companies like samsung hcc lg they just saturate the crap out of their, uh, by default, out of, out of the colors on their screens. This isn't confusing like, at all. Keep going. <laughs> we, we don't like real-to-life color when it's flat. 
our, our eyes don't see it the same way when it's flat and just human beings aren't wired to enjoy it the same way we think it looks washed out and flat if you go look at televisions they're all set to this mode where white is blue and that's hard it's hard to get a grasp on but we don't like white we like blue but we can make blue look like white and it makes everything else look great it defines the edges better it's more pleasant to our eyes even though it's so far away from reality that it's just horrible that's just how we work. Well, humans are weird. Yep. yep. <laughs> okay. So we have a few more and we're going to go through them quickly because I wanted to talk about one that I know Jerry's interested in and one that I know Eric is interested in. So the first is high quality Bluetooth audio uh, using the what's LPAC codec from Sony. Um, LDAC. LDAC. Um, and bravo, Sony. Thank you. So what, what, what's what the big deal here? Why is this uh, Why is this a good thing? Sony gave that to Google to use. They didn't have to. It's, it's Google doesn't want anything proprietary as part of AOSP Android if they can not have it. It makes it harder to redistribute files, makes it more difficult to build the, you know, what we call Android. So that's why we don't have these HQ. Bluetooth codecs in quote unquote Android. Sony just said, here, you can have this, use it. So thanks, Sony. That, that was pretty cool. I wish you'd open sourced it, Sony, but thanks anyway. <laughs> uh, and that that's if you buy a Nexus phone and you use Bluetooth headphones, it sucks. Listening to music absolutely sucks. It sucks a whole lot less on a Samsung phone, and now it'll suck a whole lot less on a Pixel phone. So hang on a second. Um, is this LDAC codec only going to be used by Sony headphones, or is this something that Sony's giving away to other manufacturers? Yeah, any anybody can use it. Yeah, and is it demonstrably better than what we have right now with you know something like the Aptex profile? Aptex HD on paper is a little bit better, but what we have now just Aptex. Uh, LDAC on paper so, is a lot. Better. Actually, actually, the problem is we don't have Aptex yet. Right. I mean, Samsung oh, yeah. has. Right. Yeah. So Sam, Samsung does, but Android in general is just now right. getting Aptex and Aptex right. HD. Android itself, if you download it and build it, it just has low bitstream Bluetooth, and your music sounds flat and hollow. Toad Scarbo. Yes. <laughs> And All now right. it will sound a lot less flat and hollow. Okay, so Eric, what is neighborhood aware networking? You mentioned that at the beginning. Yeah, so Wi-Fi aware. Uh, that one should be a fun one. For what it sounds like right now, it sounds a lot like uh, a Wi-Fi direct that actually works correctly, which is kind of kind of cool. Uh, essentially, it's for peer-to-peer networking without essentially going through a router with Wi-Fi. And what are some of the applications? Um... Find it's a, so a, a lot of this. I'm not sure how much of this is going to tie into like uh, Google Nearby, like they, like their service that they have in place services uh, to essentially find nearby devices. Uh, but it's definitely likely to be a more efficient way to do that, uh, and also connect uh, create network connections essentially for peer to peer anything. Right. So, so file files. transfer. Right. So this is this is whenever you like beam stuff. Currently, on Android, 
normal Android phones. I think Samsung actually does some Wi-Fi, some Wi-Fi direct sharing. Uh, but like beaming stuff between phones right now is all done through Bluetooth. Um, this sounds like it's going to be a way to do that with Wi-Fi aware. Uh, various other fun uses. I can see the Google Home app being updated, and I can use a Chromecast to cast my stream without having an access point in my house now. Right. That is the big one. Right now, you have to have a Wi-Fi router in your house to use a Chromecast, even if you're just mirroring your screen. This can do away with that requirement. That sounds actually sounds pretty pretty useful. But I want to see head-to-head games. That's all I want. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, that I mean that's that's really going to be like the, the killer app application for this is like close proximity multiplayer games on VR. On VR, sure. yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, give me, yeah, rock'em sock'em robots in daydream. Me and Russell punch the hell out of each other. Yeah, because we can. Yeah, like, we will. That actually sounds like a really good way to to use this protocol. You know, real time multiplayer in VR that doesn't lag by like a bunch of milliseconds. Yeah, I'm sure we'll one, see a Chrome experiment before too long. There's oh, one sure. problem. You need specific hardware. No phones have it yet. Right. Mm. We, we can pretty much count on this is the hardware feature in the Pixel 2. It's going to have a fancy Wi-Fi radio of some sort. But it, this really means nothing until the Galaxy S9 comes out and has the hardware in it. And I hate that. Well, you I mean, hear that sound? That's the sound of all the air being let out of the balloon that I had sitting next <laughs> I to me. Know. Aww. <laughs> Thanks womp, a bunch, womp. Jerry. <laughs> all right. Uh, last one, which I think Jerry is probably pretty excited about. Uh, better keyboard navigation for Android apps. And uh, this may not be as useful to the average Android user as it would be for somebody like Jerry who uses a Chromebook a lot. But why is this so important for the future of Android? Well, the, the, the future of Android is it's part of Chrome. They're, they're separate together. We've discussed that before. But if you use a Windows or Mac or Linux computer, you can use the tab key and the arrow keys to move through an application. You don't have to have a mouse. It sucks, but you can do it. On an Android app on your Chromebook, you can't. You have to use the touchscreen. This does, it'll probably do more, but my big, big, big joy is I can use my arrow and my tab keys to navigate through different spots of an app and then use the enter button or the enter key to act as a click. I can use my keyboard in my Android apps. Hallelujah. That does sound pretty good. Yeah. Well, there's, there's actually, there's actually a couple of really cool things that I think are very targeted to Chromebooks, which is that and being able to start uh, activities in a different window. That one's going to be that's pretty, pretty cool too. That you mix that in with the resizable window feature that is there, but kind of hidden and nobody's using it. And that means I can build my Android app and tell it, Hey, launch a new window and use this part of the screen and put it here and put it in the foreground with a transparent border and bam, it's beautiful. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I I meant like this display. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And there's extended display support. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting because that's that's very much what somebody considers like a desktop feature, right? Right, being able to give a second display. Like, I mean, I, I assume you know right now you can't really Chromecast your screen or a second screen. Like, I only want to show my second home screen on my on my Chromecast and not my 
on my whole screen or have it mirror. But this seems like that could that could be a, a pretty good implementation. Yeah, and I, I think you can actually. So I'm not sure about Chromecast, uh, but if you have like HDMI, you can definitely show a different UI on the TV, but it has to be the same activity. Yes. Right. So what what this essentially does is frees you up to if I have I want to have a dedicated activity to if whenever I'm connected to a second dis, to display, send it up there and be done with it. I almost said some things to get some companies really, really pissed at us. And I stopped myself. <laughs> I want a cookie. <laughs> but what Eric said is very important. Well, what a, a lot of what Eric said was very important. So I, uh, I, I think we're going to end there. Um, and I just want to thank you so much, Eric. You, you oh, no, brought no. a, a level of, of, of insight and knowledge that this podcast has, has literally ne- – no, I'm joking. But um, you, you really <laughs> – No, you're not. <laughs> you really Ouch. brought a, a level uh, of, of developer insight here that um, we really needed. And especially on a, on a week like this where everybody's sort of digging into O and trying to figure out what it means for the future of Android, I, I can't thank you enough for joining us. Thanks again. Anytime, anytime. Yeah, thanks, Eric, because you, you guys are the future of Android. You know, Willow Tree and companies like Willow Tree, Android would be nothing without its apps. So it's important what you guys think and what you're going to do with this. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's real exciting every, every, every time this time of year uh, to essentially see what new stuff we can play with. Well, if uh, people want to find out a little bit more about you, Eric, and uh, the work that you do, wh- where can they go? Uh, so it's willowtreeapps.com is our website. Uh, also by on Twitter, I'm Richie681. And on uh, Google Plus, Eric Richardson, I'm one of the people who will probably show up if you search for Eric Richardson. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm the one with the beard. All right. The Eric with the beard. I like it. Uh, another man with the beard, Jerry Hildenbrand. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, 4chan. Oh, no. Uh, Twitter, I'm, I'm at GBL. G-B-H-I-L. And uh, that's me. I'm spitting all the fire. Uh, I don't know, man. Come on. I'm just <laughs> Hey, for some for a guy who never used to go on Twitter, you have taken really well to it. I, I gotta As say. As a matter of fact, I think it was almost exactly a year ago when we were all together in Georgia that he finally broke down and made a Twitter account <laughs> and like complained and moaned the entire time he was setting it up. And now I think he genuinely enjoys using it. That was a pain in the butt, too, because Phil made me get one, Yep. God, in 2009. And I had one with the username, you know, my email address and everything. And I didn't know the password, and I had to go through all that rigmarole because I didn't want to use a different email. And But, yeah, it's it's all set up now, and now people get to yell at me on all new medium. But let's, let's, let's be honest here. Does anybody actually enjoy using Twitter? No, uh, it's no. Constant, <laughs> constant state of disappointment. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the problem. I, I open Twitter with the idea to have a little bit of enjoyment, and then I start reading, and uh, then yep. all the enjoyment is sucked away from me. You go to Twitter whenever you're feeling too good about yourself. Yeah, you I scroll through. 
Try to take take yourself down a few notches. That's right. They they need some sort of a filter, like you know, notification channels for Twitter, so I can uncheck that box that says Donald Trump U.S. presidency, Senate <laughs> Muslim ban. I can just uncheck all that crap, and I can have fun on Twitter. You can filter words now. You should check yeah, it out. Yeah. yeah. Well, you should only follow your fellow Mobile Nations uh, coworkers. That seems like a fairly safe bet. I could talk to you. Yeah, we definitely never talk about politics online. It has never once gotten us in trouble on AndroidCentral.com when we talked about... That is true. Totally a safe zone for no politics, that's that website. Well, if somebody wants to find out where your your not uh, offensive thoughts are, Russell, where, where can people find you? I am Russell Holly everywhere because uh, I lack imagination and uh, didn't create a cool username and hates icons uh, and uh, and I hate icons apparently I don't yeah uh, I think I just hate effort mm. um, and uh, as as an effect of that laziness uh, you can find me just about anywhere usually saying the exact same thing I'm a big fan of copying and pasting the same thing to Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus and, and you know other places. So really only pick one place to follow me, otherwise the signal to noise ratio is just deafening. That just sounds efficient to me. Yeah. Well yeah, you know, you would run out of offensive words if you used different <laughs> ones and all those platforms. Gotta, gotta mix it up. Well it's somebody and who supersonic. I am still I had a bunch of people ask me this this week. I am still using supersonic and I'm still a pretty big fan of it. It's still not available outside the US, it's so it's still not available outside of the US. F but when that it noise. Is, when it is, sir, I'm going to blow your shit up every day. Oh, Daniel, <laughs> I will send you the app and give you a login to my VPN, and you can supersonic your life away with Russell. APK, please. Okay. Every morning. It's going to happen every morning. Well, if you need to find me or my um, mostly non-political thoughts on the internet, I'm at JourneyDan on Twitter. You can find all of us at AndroidCentral.com. You can find more insight on android o more insight on the galaxy s8 more insight on android for everyone thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week bye audio bye